over the years, as I've wrestled with these issue my, myself, like, how do you make decisions? How do you, how do you handle being spontaneous? How do you structure your life in such a way that you feel like you have energy left by 3 PM mm-hmm. to deal with the things that really matter instead of just standing in front of the fridge thinking, I have no idea what to have for dinner. Welcome to Cultivating the Lovely. I'm your host, Mackenzie Kappa. And around here, we know that life is hard and we gotta do everything we can to just make it a little bit more lovely. So it's my mission to bring you great conversations, practical tools and information, and a healthy dose of community to help make those things happen. If you want to find out more, you can go to our website at cultivatingthelovely.com, visit our amazing membership community at patreon.com slash cultivatingthelovely, or by connecting with me on Instagram, which is one of my favorite places to interact with all of you. You can find me at Mackenzie Coppa. Thanks so much for joining me today. Ladies, we are back this week with a fan favorite on the show. It's Anne Bogle back in the house. You guys get so excited when I get to interview her. It's been a couple of years, but I know many of you are loyal listeners to her podcast. Many of you subscribe to her newsletter where you get the Kindle deals and probably have a lot of the same problem that I do, (laughs) buying far too many on-sale Kindle books. But she is just the best at what she does, and she's so much fun to talk to because she's got such a distinct style. And I loved getting to talk to her about her brand new project. She has a book coming out this week called Don't Overthink It. Now, it looks to be about decision making when you kind of just read the subtitle, but it's so much bigger than that. And it's so practical, you guys. It was far better than I expected it to be. And I think it will probably go down as being one of my favorite books of the year because it's just so practical. And a lot of the tools that she has in this book are things that I have actually been using over the last couple of years without even necessarily realizing they were tools to be using. And so I hope you really enjoy this interview with her. But first, I wanted to mention a couple of fun things that we have going on. So I am starting to kind of get things rolling to be growing things as we go into next fall. I know it sounds really early to be thinking about that, but I know that we're going to be going through another big transition when my youngest is in school full time and I'm going to have a lot more time to work. So I'm kind of gearing up for that. So with all that said, I've started to put out a few little videos on Instagram. I'm also going to be uploading them to YouTube. The first one went out last week. And it was all about my five tips for riding the ship. When you have kind of been sunk by stress or just the craziness of ordinary life or some big trauma in your life, whatever it is, I give kind of the five steps that I walk through to start moving from survival mode back into thriving again. And I think that they're pretty useful. And I would love for you to go check out that little video. It's like eight minutes long on Instagram. And let me know what you think you can find it in my feed or on IGTV at Mackenzie Coppa. And hey, leave me a comment, send me a direct message. I would love to talk with you about the things that you do to help right your ship when things feel like they've gotten a little bit wonky in your life. We have also been having so much fun on Patreon because we've been bringing back the daily live shows. We had a really fun question and answer last week where people put in questions everything from, hey, what style jeans are coming into fashion for spring and summer 2020 to give me all of your tips about these different parts of the Enneagram. It was such a varied, fun conversation, and we would love to have you join us over there because it seriously is a community. We band together to find answers to things, and it's so much fun and I just love getting to chat with you guys you can be in there and see those lives for just three dollars a month that's like nothing and we would love to have you come over and be a part of it with us and of course there are other perks that you can expect like getting episodes of the podcast early and ad free we even have coaching levels if you think hey I would like a little bit of extra help with getting my goals in order or I have all of this stuff that I've brain dumped but now I don't know what to do with it I'm your gal. I would love to help you out with that and walk you step by step through a personalized approach to getting yourself kind of back on track, especially as we're heading into spring and people are feeling more alive again and ready to do that kind of thing. I would love to come alongside you in that process. So head over to patreon.com slash cultivating the lovely to find out all of the details and join us over there. All right, without further ado, let's jump into this episode with Anne Bogle. Welcome back, Anne. Oh, thank you for having me. 
It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, I am so excited to have you back on. I mean, you're just fun to talk to regardless. I would just, you know, (laughs) have you on to talk about, I don't know, anything, the phone book. But I'm really excited to have you on for your brand new book that's coming out, Don't Overthink It. Oh, well, thank you so much. Yeah. And I'm sure that you require no introduction because most people who listen to me know who you are, but will you just go ahead just for the sake of business as usual and tell everybody who you are? I mean, everybody requires an introduction, right? Right, right. Um, Sure. Well, I'm Ann Bogle. You may know me from my blog, Modern Mrs. Darcy, a lifestyle blog for nerds, as my friend Tish puts it, um, that's been there since 2011, or maybe from my podcast, What Should I Read Next, where we talk all things books and reading and do literary matchmaking every Tuesday. And it's so much fun. People hear me talk about it all the time. And you are responsible for filling my Kindle with far more books than I could ever actually read. I hope they're good ones. They, well, they're all off of your recommended list. Whenever they go on sale, I've, I have problems. Just I just buy. <laughs> One of my coping methods over the past two and a half years. <laughs> so. But you'll never be caught without a book. That's it's a great true. thing. It is so true. And a lot of them I've really, like I've taken off then with the series that they've been a part of. And so that's been super fun. Like the London Celebrity series. And yeah, well done. Well done, you. Well, it's fun to connect with other readers. Yes. And this book, talking about reading. Okay. So when I first got it, I thought it was just about making decisions. And I was like, well, I don't know. I feel like a lot of my decisions are made for me these days. So is this for me? And then I opened it and I was like, oh no, it really is about overthinking in like all the different ways that we overthink, especially as women. And I thought of so many people in my life who could really utilize this book as I was reading it. But I also, I was just so impressed by the practicality of it. And I'm just really excited to dive into it with you more today. And I guess my first question right off the bat is, what made you want to write this book? I mean, we hear in the beginning of the book how, you know, you were struggling to make the decision over driving to Nashville because of the storm and all of that. But obviously, the book had been sparked before that. So what made you think about this book? That's a great question. Um, Something that really has surprised me since I started blogging in 2011 is that back then I assumed that I wrote pieces for for the blog or anywhere else about things that I knew. And -hmm. it took me a long, oh, and then they'd be really hard to write and I wouldn't know why. Um, But it took me a long time to realize that I wrote to figure out what I thought, not to write about what I already knew. And on the blog over the years, I have written about many of the issues that happen in Don't Overthink It, well, that I address in Don't Overthink It. And when I say that, really what I mean is, um, how are you going to live your life? Like That's something that I really focus on on Modern Mrs. Darcy is I'm writing to an audience of um, 90% women Mm -hmm. who are 80% between the ages of 25 and 45, except, you know what, I think that age span has widened over the years. But when we, who who want to live a a life that they would consider to be well-lived. And Mm -hmm. so over the years, as I've wrestled with these issues myself, like, how do you make decisions? How do you, how do you handle being spontaneous? How do you structure your life in such a way that you feel like you have energy left by 3 PM Mm -hmm. to deal with the things that really matter instead of just standing in front of the fridge thinking, I have no idea what to have for dinner. Um, so these are, these are things that have been important to me and that I've realized, you know, I just assumed that everybody knew how to do this, but it turns out we're all asking ourselves these questions. Um, at the same time, I know that whenever I get together with my friends, men and women, but especially women, uh, these are the things we talk about, the subject in this book. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, they're fascinating. They're issues that are never going to weigh. They're, they're things that everyone, I truly think, to some degree deals with. Even if you don't relate to the, like, do you struggle with decision-making? Like you hinted at, I was really surprised in the course of writing this book to discover how pervasive overthinking was in my own Mm -hmm. life. I just didn't realize all the different forms it could take, which I mean, it's really slippery. Yeah. Um, And I was really surprised to discover that. But the more you're able to see something for what it is, the more you're able to 
do about it. And I really enjoyed gathering all these topics that at first seemed disconnected under one tent and addressing them here. Yeah. All right, ladies, motherhood is a crazy, sometimes or a lot of times overwhelming, almost always rewarding journey that can sometimes make you feel a bit isolated. I know I hear that from a lot of you ladies a lot of the time. I know I've felt it. And if you have ever felt alone in the madness that is parenthood, then I have a new show for you that I think you're really going to like. From Audio Boom comes a brand new podcast just for all us moms appropriately called FAM for all moms. Join hosts Susan Yara and Sharzad Kiade as they dive into mom topics that are both hilarious and serious. Susan and Sharzad share their sometimes embarrassing experiences along with advice and commentary from experts and friends. These ladies are real. You know how I love that. And they're relatable, tackling just about any topic in their lives, whether it's about their kids, marriage, or life in general. This Audio Boom original podcast has new episodes every Wednesday, just like my show, and is available on your favorite podcast app right now. Be sure to search for and subscribe to FAM, For All Moms, in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or whatever your favorite podcast app is. Well, I have, I mean, I have so many points from the book that I want to bring up, but I'm going to kind of jump ahead to a section where you talk about kind of like dealing with the overthinking and ways to, to stop yourself because, you know, I've gone through this crazy divorce for the past two and a half years. It finally, we just signed papers the beginning of February, but we're still in like this transition period. And then my brother died last fall. And like, I mean, like all of this stuff happened that was so emotionally overwhelming. And I feel like I went from two and a half years ago, really being somebody who would over think a lot of things. I mean, I probably, especially because I was living in an abusive relationship for 14 years. So you kind of have to overthink life to like protect yourself. Um, but then I got to this place where I was so emotionally just like done where I, I decided to not overthink things. Now I say that I just, I decided to not overthink the hard things, I think. And so many of the tips that you gave about how to do that. I was like, yes, that's what I do. That I do that too. Like I have learned to, um, let me see in my notes here, <laughs> like the distracting myself and writing it down and deciding to not hold on to it anymore. And then like come back to it at a later time. Like those were all the literal coping skills that I mm -hmm. used to just to just survive. Mm -hmm. And I was so excited to see them in written format for other people to utilize because I've had people say like, how did you get through it? And now I feel like I can hand them your book and be like, here, do this. Oh, well, thank you for that. Um, your divorce was in progress the last time we talked and I'm yeah. glad to hear that you're getting some closure on that, even though you're sorting yeah. it out, but oh, I'm so sorry about your brother. What a loss. Yeah, it was, it was, it's been a lot. It's been a lot, you know, and there's only so much I think that our brains can take. And so utilizing some of these things that you, you talk about, like that distracting, it was a, a coping mechanism to be like, okay, I know I have these big feelings and these big thoughts that I need to sort out, but I'm going to have to do it at a designated time to be mm -hmm. able to, to, because there was just mm -hmm. too much real life moving forward. Mm -hmm. And I think that was a total savior to me. So, yeah. And what you're saying is really hints at how interesting the human brain is. That sounds so cold and clinical, but I'm just thinking about yeah. the times in my life when I have been faced with not personally my life being in danger, but that of someone very close to me um, mm -hmm. needing lots of medical attention right now. And it was really, what I didn't expect the first time that happened was how able I would be to take the next thing in front of me because you yeah. know it has to be done. Yeah. And it is like the, it's very clear, like what needs to happen right now, what, what needs to keep going. And I just didn't, I think I expected to collapse in a heap. And it was mm -hmm. interesting to see how, while that does happen to some people, so many people relate yeah. 
to what you're saying, like the human mind has an amazing ability to carry yeah. on. Yeah. Until the small thing that does leave yes. you collapsing to the yes. floor in a heap, which at least that's what happened yes. to me. Yeah. Well, I got a, a bad haircut last week and that just sent me over the edge. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. I've survived like all these things and now this haircut is going to mm -hmm. sideline me. Mm -hmm. But, and you know, it's interesting because I mean, this is all about overthinking and I've, I feel like I've gotten so good at like not overthinking these really big, hard things now, but then take like my non-existent dating life like that. I will overthink all day long. <laughs> <laughs> so there's that, you know? <laughs> well, what you're saying makes me think of is how when you are faced with something huge in life, I think I shouldn't say you, because I suspect this yeah. is true, generally speaking, but I yeah. am definitely not an expert in this topic. I'm speaking from my own experience and just anecdotal evidence, just talking to other people who've been through hard things. Um, I find that when I'm facing something really hard, mm -hmm. that's clear that it's going to be hard, yeah. um, I give myself a lot of grace and I expect it to be really hard. Um, but the same isn't true when I feel like I'm facing the relatively easy thing, like not mm -hmm. the life-threatening illness, but the after effect, after the like scary stuff has been resolved. So now you're just like changing, changing band-aids, you know, it's not yeah. a big deal. So yeah. I don't give myself a lot of grace and I don't expect it to be hard. And then when it's really hard, I lose my mind, yeah. um, which I think just speaks to how important our, or how dramatic an effect our perspective on whatever it is we're facing changes what we do and how we feel about it. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's so true. I, yeah, <laughs> it's those big things that you, you realize, like you just kind of like you learn to buck up and go forward with, like pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You just got to do that next thing and keep moving. And then, yeah, those little, it's exactly what you said. Those little things that you think, oh, I've got this. Like I really went into the beginning of this year, like, okay, pretty much the hard stuff is over. It's time to just like start over and new year, be fresh. And then when it was harder than I thought it was going to be, it seemed harder than even the months before. It's just that change in perspective for sure. Yeah. This is going to sound so flippant. I don't mean it like that at all, but like being a person in the world is really hard yeah. on so many different it levels. Is. And anytime you said, I've got this. And I thought, oh no. Yeah. This story yeah. isn't going to end well. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then, I mean, I think that it's, I was watching Jamie Nato yesterday and she was saying like, she's got this cold and it's awful and she's in bed and her family's been sick forever. But then she looks on, you know, Instagram and this gal who was fighting cancer had passed away and it's like, whoa, you know, like that, that puts things in perspective. Your life still feels hard because you're in it. But then sometimes it's those perspective things that we need that can kind of jar us back into like, okay, maybe this isn't quite as bad as I thought it was. Maybe I'll survive this haircut, you know, to get through. Oh, okay. I won't say anything snarky here, but I'm anyone with a bad haircut who's ever had a bad, raise his hand high. I mean, yes. our hearts go out to you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. I've had to, I've, I've been in now twice to try to have it fixed. But it's just not what you expect when you're, you're finally single again. And you're like, I want to look good. And then not so much. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Cruel, cruel fate. Yes, right? <laughs> Wait, was that faded? I don't know that that was faded. Yeah. I, my friend said like, maybe this is just God's way of keeping away all the wrong men. <laughs> like, yeah, because if anybody falls for me looking like this, then we know it's from the Lord. <laughs> it wouldn't be for any other reason. So anyway, I digress, but okay. So your book, you know, sometimes I pick up books like this and I think like, okay, it's just going to be all the heady information about what overthinking is and what it looks like and how we do it and how we need to stop it. But you gave so many practical tools and I feel like they are things that I share with my Cultivating the Lovely audience all the time when we're talking about organizing or meal planning or just planning our lives in general. And like, I try to walk them through that process. I've even had some coaching clients that I've helped with these things. And it was so many of those same 
clear-cut tools. And so I'm assuming those are things that you came to just by like using them in your own life, right? (laughs) Well, yes. And then talking to other people who have too, because when you start, I mean, I say when you, but I wrote a book about this. So I spent two years of my life, like (laughs) deep diving this topic. And if you're thinking about making easier decisions, or if you're noticing like how perfectionism uh, ruins everything basically, or like invade your thought life, it makes it really difficult to make decisions and for you to be happy with the outcome. Like if you spend your days like researching and writing about these things, you can't just turn off that switch when you're done. Um, you can't help but see like your own behavior and that of others around you through that lens. And you can't help like talking about it with friends yeah. and mentioning it on the blog. And uh, it's been so I, of course, could share strategies that were given to me, ones that I arrived at myself, one that other people swore by. And you know, you never know. The thing that like makes things so much easier for you could be something that just wouldn't work in my life. And I mm-hmm. wanted to give people options so that what might work for them would jump out at them and they could give it a try. And something that I encourage throughout the book is experiment, experiment, experiment. You know, just mm-hmm. if this sounds promising to you, give it a try. Some you can try today. And the book has an interesting combination of like huge, big picture vision shifts mm-hmm. and also just little tiny tweaks that you could try. Yeah. I mean, if you read it now, you could try it by this afternoon. Yeah. Well, and that's what but I- we need both. Yes. Yes. And I love that it's like, we're talking about our minds and how we need to control our thoughts. But then you talk about how, you know, clearing the clutter, like the literal- physical clutter from our lives and making things more efficient. So we're not duplicating our work and like all those kinds of things. Like you can't just isolate your thoughts by themselves. All these different parts of our life are interconnected. That's so true. Even if we don't want them to be, and even if we really resist thinking that because you were talking about grief and its effect in your life. When I'm grieving, I think who cares what the kitchen counters look like? Yeah. Um, but the, And I am not a neat freak. Like my office yeah. desk right now where I'm sitting, it is piled with books. But the only reason I can do that and still think is because there's a clean surface nearby. Um, mm-hmm. But those, those little things that we think shouldn't matter in the grand scheme of things because kitchen counters like don't hold a candle to like the complicated relational issue we're dealing with. Like we mm-hmm. know which is most important, right? Yeah. But I was really... Um, <laughs> I wasn't sure if I wanted to say surprised, but honestly, like I was really surprised at at the, the importance of like the physical foundation we have, um, Mm -hmm. like with our bodies, when we're physically tired when we're sleepy and we just feel like we need a shower. Um, these, when we're starving, like this is when it's so easy to overthink. Like there's definitely a connection there, even if we don't want there to be one. And the same goes for our physical spaces. Like if we're feeling cramped, if we are someone who's easily overwhelmed by um, visual clutter or by noise, um, then we are not going to be at our mental best when we're in a space that makes that challenging. I don't want that to be true, but it's true. And some of those things you're talking about are ones that I have really consciously um, made changes in in my Mm -hmm. own life once I begrudgingly realized like, oh, this, this matters more than I want it to, but I can absolutely see that it's true that it does. So I should do something about it. Yeah, absolutely. I found like, especially over the past two and a half years, I've gone through these cycles where, you know, things will kind of calm down and be a little bit more normal for a while. And then they get really, really hard again. And we've got court dates or, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. And it's always been in those times where we're kind of on that cycle of, okay, everything feels really oppressive that all the other things start to go. <laughs> like I, I stopped doing the dishes and realized I'm either going to have to buy more or I'm going to have to wash them. Like, you know, there, there comes those points where it's like everything else, it's, it's just, you're just in full on survival mode. And I know when I'm coming back out of that again, when I'm, I start to notice like, oh, hey, it would feel a lot better if I was on top of these things again. If I cleared this clutter, if my dishes were done, if I was doing those things daily, like that's what normal life looks like. And that's what I want to get back to. And then that helps my brain. Like a lot of times when I feel like there's just too much, I've got work to do. I've got, you know, all these things, just hitting that pause button and saying like, I need to write the ship first. Then it allows me to let all those other things in my brain fall into place without as much effort. 
Yes. And it's so good to hear that you've learned what that looks like for you because Mm -hmm. something that really surprised me about the process of writing Don't Overthink It and examining what overthinking looks like in our lives is what what a theme, um, just being kind to ourselves was in the book. And I don't mean like buy yourselves chocolates and get a massage. I mean- you know, get some sleep and eat some food and give yourself, don't, don't beat yourself up physically or mentally. Mm -hmm. And the reason why what you just said was so important is that sometimes if we don't know what we really need, or if we don't understand the connection between um, when we go to bed and how clearly we're able to think in the morning or Mm -hmm. whether or not we eat lunch and what that means for our, our headspace in the evening um, is we try to be kind to ourselves. Like we have good intentions sometimes, but when we don't understand the connection, Mm -hmm. we can actively sabotage ourselves, even though our intentions are so pure. But when you pay attention and you see how certain decisions and ways of being in your space affect the way you feel, then you can make really smart decisions instead of ones that backfire on you. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it's so important to do, to remember that the adverse is effect or is true as well. Like when we are really mentally overtaxed that makes our bodies tired also. And so as much as like we, when we work on our health, it helps our brains to work better. If there are things happening in our life that are stressful and whatever, it also like literally makes our bodies have a harder time working. And that has been such an eye opener to me, like, especially the beginning of this year, like thinking I was doing so well and okay, we're back on our feet. I'm working really hard. I'm fitting in all of this, you know, just like getting our life back together. And then when all of the like, okay, we're going back to court and then we were getting continuances and like just the emotional strain of that made my literal body (laughs) so tired, even though all other things would say I'm healthy. I was working out. I was trying to get enough sleep, but just that effect is so acute on our bodies. And I think we just have a disconnect probably sort of culturally that we don't realize just how connected they are. Yes. I find that the research absolutely bears that out. And there's some really here, I have a great quote for you. From um, It's from The Body Keeps the Score, which is a book that I've been meaning to read for a long time and mm-hmm. was so glad that I finally did in the course of writing this book. But it's by Bessel van der Kolk. And it's about how trauma, I know this sounds like, oh, that sounds like a good read, but seriously, it's so fascinating. It's about yeah. how traumatic experiences manifest themselves in our brains, our minds, and our bodies. Mm-hmm. But um, a continuing theme I saw from Uh, people with lots of letters after their names um, who do specialize in the mind and the body said that we totally underestimate the the connection between the two. So Mm -hmm. Vanderkoek writes that breathing, eating, sleeping, pooping, and peeing are so fundamental that their Mm -hmm. significance is easily neglected when when we're considering the complexities of mind and behavior. We just skip right over that stuff, even though he says so often, if something is not right with any one of those things, it's it's a symptom yeah. of what's, yeah. what's happening. Like we, if we ignore that connection, we do so at our peril because the workings of our bodies are so intimately tied to the workings of our brains. Yeah. It's, it's so true. I mean, when I, and I read that quote in your book when I was going through it and I was like, oh my goodness, because that first like seven or eight months after I left and even kind of the months leading up to my leaving, um, I, I had significant health issues and I did all the things to try to help myself like get healthy again. But I think the, probably the most effective thing I did was be in counseling and getting EMDR therapy and helping with the PTSD and all of that. That's when I started to get my health back. Like it was, it was crazy that it, it so seemed to align as my brain was getting more in shape so was my body. I think the wisdom of the body just blows my mind because I've heard this is a Western perspective, but like, why, why does your shoulder that's been chronically bothering you stop hurting? Like the minute you step out of an abusive marriage, like yeah. that's what happened to my friend. It, in, in one, it doesn't 
necessarily make sense to our Western minds. Mm -hmm. And yet there's no doubt those things are connected. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Well, I'm glad that you were getting your health back. I know. Me too. Me too. And now when I have these little things, it's like, oh, I just feel more tired. (laughs) It's not like, uh, do I need to be admitted to a hospital? You know, it's, it's a different level of things, which is good all the way around. I feel like Absolutely. I better. Ladies, this might sound strange, but especially in the last year, I've done a lot of thinking about water, especially as I'm trying to recuperate from a long stretch of stress and get my body in the best order possible and wanting to give the most nourishing water to my kids. I've been thinking about it a lot. And I think generally we think if we buy like bottled water or maybe we just drink straight from the tap because we figure we live in the U.S. and it's probably okay, then maybe we're deceiving ourselves a little bit more than we should be. Because did you know there are hundreds of chemicals, contaminants, and toxins that are in the water throughout the country? Some of those are added by your local water company, but some are also unregulated and therefore not even tested for when looking at your local water report. That's something I didn't even know. And I'm sure you've probably even seen the news about forever chemicals being in tap water. And yeah, that's scary. And guess what? Most filters do not remove these chemicals. That's where Clearly Filtered comes in. Clearly Filtered created a new water filter technology that actually removes all the harmful chemicals, toxins, and contaminants found in tap water while still retaining the healthy minerals found in the water. They kind of use a catch-all approach to just make sure that they are getting everything nasty out of there that you don't want to be drinking. It removes lead, fluoride, arsenic, PFAS, pesticides, herbicides, radiation, bacteria, and the list goes on and on. I think especially in light of some of the viruses that we're hearing about going around, this is more important now than ever. All of their products are tested by a third-party EPA-accredited lab, making them certified to remove over 230 contaminants with your pitcher or whatever other product you choose from them. They even have a mount-under-the-sink system and a water bottle that I absolutely love. Seriously, this water bottle is like my favorite thing in a long time. And they post all of the results of these third-party tests right on their website, so you can check them out and see them. And plus, the taste of the water is just really crisp and amazing. Even my kids were commenting on it, which really kind of surprised me. So if you think it's time to get a real water filter, one that actually removes the hundreds of contaminants in tap water, then visit clearlyfilter.com lovely and use the coupon code lovely and you'll get 20% off your new filtered water system. They ship throughout the U.S. for free, have a 30-day risk-free guarantee, and then a lifetime warranty on all their filter systems. clearlyfilter.com lovely. That's clearlyfiltered.com slash lovely for 20% off. But okay, so shifting a little bit off of that, but still, I mean, in the same idea, you talk about tending your garden, like choosing what is there. And I thought that was such a beautiful way of thinking about our brains. Would you explain that? Sure. Um, The title The idea for that chapter actually comes from an excellent book I read many years ago by Winifred Gallagher. It's called Wrapped. I think the subtitle is Attention and the Focused Life. But she she wrote in that book, she was describing the experience um, that really launched the book. She was diagnosed with cancer. It was a particularly nasty kind. Her prognosis was not good. And she decided that um, she could absolutely just let her illness take over her life. That could be the thing she focused on for her at least year of intensive treatment that was going to be pretty brutal. Um, And she decided, I mean, being a researcher um, Mm -hmm. who who knew more than I would going in about the the human mind and condition. Maybe that's not actually true at the point, but she definitely knows a different kind of thing or she did at the beginning of her cancer journey. Um, She decided that she could focus on her life instead. Like she would still have to think about her cancer treatment, but she would choose to focus on the other things in her life that made it worth living to her instead of Mm -hmm. spending hours like reading websites about chemotherapy. Um, And she said that it like certainly wasn't the best year of her life. Let's not get carried away. She said it wasn't her worst, like not her worst by a long shot because she says like, really with your thoughts, you make your world and that your life is really comprised of the experiences you have, including those in your head. Your, your life is what you think about. Mm -hmm. Um, So what she, what she said in that book is that 
she decided she would treat her mind as a private garden and be as careful as possible about what she introduced into it and what she allowed to grow there. And that was a really interesting visual for me because so many times I feel like far from thinking of my mind is a garden. It's like a, I don't know, it's a meadow with a whole Mm -hmm. lot of dandelions. And sometimes I feel like I'm like ripping them up and just blowing the seeds everywhere. Yeah. And if you like dandelions, that's great. But if you don't want them all over your garden, then you shouldn't be like watering them and giving them fertilizer and then blowing their little puffy seeds as beautiful as they are, um, as they're blowing through like the the sunlight, you know, the the light beams catching them. I've seen some beautiful photos. Yeah. But, But I don't want anybody blowing those in my backyard. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so true. And what we, what we water really does stay there. And I think, you know, I've, I've seen how different people have experienced, I keep coming back to this, but different kinds of trauma and that sort of thing. And obviously you don't have to have some kind of crazy trauma in your life to make these practices effective and beneficial and all of that. But just having witnessed, especially in the last six months, experiencing different trauma, like things that happened, you know, with my brother before his death and knowing that like, I, I feel for my mom because I can't imagine being a mother and losing your child, but there are times when she can't stop wondering what exactly happened and what his last moments were like and what was he thinking and who had he talked to and what really happened and like where it takes over. And there's a certain part of me, and I think probably because of what I've experienced over the past couple of years and having to learn to just like acknowledge that I might not get those answers. And so I can't live in that space. I have to let it go. And I have to choose to focus on other things that has, it's still painful for him to be gone, but it's allowed me to love the memories more, I think, and be able to focus on moving forward. And that's, that's a really powerful place to be in, even from, you know, a perspective of grief. Absolutely. Uh, What's tricky about talking about what happens in our minds is that everything happens in our minds. Yeah. Um, You're talking about grieving your brother, which is a huge loss in don't overthink it. Um, when, when I talk about overthinking for the purposes of the book, first of all, it's not overthinking if you give it the amount of attention you want to, whatever yeah. that is. Yeah. Um, if you want to spend four hours thinking about what's for dinner because it brings <laughs> you joy and you want to make like the meal of the century, then that's absolutely fine. Um, and also when we talk about overthinking, we're not talking about, I'm, while because trauma affects the mind, of course, it, it wanders into the same territory, but that's absolutely not what I had in mind. Yeah. And yeah. I'm not talking about getting your basic needs met. Like if, you're, if you don't have a place to sleep and you're thinking and thinking and thinking about having a place to sleep, um, that's, I'm, I'm not going to tell you to stop. Of course you are. Um, those are fundamental questions and they merit concern and lots and lots of thought. I'm also not talking about major life decisions, yeah. but it's interesting. Um, the first reason I got interested in this topic um, of tending your garden, of cultivating a healthy thought life was because I had, um, it sounds so silly to say, cause I was not on ground zero, but I had PTSD after nine 11 because of mm-hmm. something that happened to me. And that was the first time I didn't have any kind of anxiety or anything before that, but that was the first time after I was pretty sick afterwards and at my whole body was just suddenly unwell. Yeah. Um, and like very much so. That's the first time that my doctor pointed out to me, like, look, I'm a, I'm a family practitioner. I don't know a lot about this stuff, but I just want to say that I, I know from what I've seen of my patients that your thoughts can be the enemy. They can make yeah. everything worse. I see you pushing yourself down this road. Um, and what that looked like for me then was, um, whenever I started experiencing a symptom in my body, I'd be worried that it was um, concerning. So I'd like mm-hmm. really tap into it and self-monitor it. Um, and it was like a hamster on a treadmill and it didn't yeah. help. It didn't make me feel better. It was actively making everything worse. So I wasn't the first patient he'd seen doing something like that. Um, mm-hmm. So he said, your thoughts can be the enemy or you can learn to make them your ally. 
and he gave me some resources and pointed me in the right direction of exploration. Um, but he didn't, he didn't solve anything that day, but he did crack open a door that made me realize that I'm not just like a, an observer here. Like I'm an active participant in creating my own thought life. Mm-hmm. Or don't overthink it. I'm also not saying here's your one and only cure all for your yeah. generalized anxiety. It's not like that at all, but no. I do hope there's information here that can help um, people. Yes. Even if it's not like, <laughs> it's not a magic bullet. Yeah. But I hope it's a big help. Well, and it isn't even, and I, I keep coming back to all these like big, major traumatic things, but there's so much great information in this book about much lighter things, just the decision fatigue that we face very acutely in our culture, I think. And it's something that I talk about with the ladies in, you know, the cultivating the lovely community all the time, because I think especially a lot of the moms are homeschoolers or stay-at-home moms. And when you have little people like asking you questions all day, every day, and you're having to answer all these things and making all these decisions, you know, I'm a big proponent for like as much as you can plan and prepare in advance so that you have freedom, which I think you talk about really well in this book about limiting yourself so that you can have freedom. It's, it's such a real thing. Like I, I have so much less stress in my life when I have planned out meals at least for a week, if not for even longer, because it's one less thing that I have to think about. And I think you do a really good job of creating practical tools in this book for people to help just get a hold of that. Yeah, I really relate to what you're saying. My youngest child, I have four, is <laughs> 10 now. But um, I do remember the time when um, I'm an introvert. Yeah. And I have kind of a low noise threshold. I mean, I can handle it for a little bit, but cumulatively, I cannot talk all day. Um, but having four little people at home talking yeah. to you all day long, even though you really want to hear what they're saying, you love them dearly. But talking to them all day long was just a lot for me. And I, we only have so much mental energy. Yeah. Like we only, it's like a budget. It's like a per diem where you get so much and then it's gone and you don't start over fresh till the next day. So, I mean, you can't, you can't keep expending that energy without paying a price. Mm-hmm. So anything you can do to streamline, um, those decisions or in the case of snacks, that talking, I mean, seriously, yeah. back in the day we created a snack door. You could have yep. anything you wanted, like in the one bin in the cabinet or the one bin in the fridge. You didn't have to ask. We did not have to have a conversation about it because I want to talk <laughs> to my children, but not necessarily about like, I don't know which kind of cracker and cheese yes. they wanted like that. We can save our talk time for something a little more. Yes. Interesting. I mean, I love cheese, but still, that's not what I want to talk to my kids about for 15 minutes every day. Exactly. And, and it's what geniuses do. I mean, all these things that I hear you talking about, like eating the same thing or wearing the same thing or like doing things to kind of limit your options so you have less decisions to make. I mean, when we look at people like Steve Jobs and, you know, all of these people who've done amazing things, it's because they eliminated a lot of those decision-making pieces from their life. Right. So you're talking about Steve Jobs and his black turtlenecks. Yes. And we don't, that doesn't mean we should all wear black turtlenecks. Yes. But you're so right that we have some things, we all have things that we care about a lot yeah. and things that just don't matter that much to us. Um, like yeah. this isn't exactly what I'm talking about, but our Christmas tree came down this year about like February 15th. <laughs> I was busy. Yeah. People who could lift heavy things without complaining about it a lot were sick. I'm like, oh. you know what? I just don't care. Yeah. It will be fine. It's not going to stress me out. I'm not going to apologize for it. Just going to enjoy the lights from the twinkle lights while they last. Yeah, that's true. That's a great example. Ladies, it is March. We are finally coming out of that winter dreariness a little bit. And I know that in the Patreon community and with CTL in general, and even in this episode of the podcast, we are talking a lot about eliminating decision fatigue. And pretty much the number one way I do that for myself is using plan to eat. You guys, this system was created by a family who knew what was actually needed in terms of practical meal planning. And they created an amazing website and app. You guys, no, I love the app. 
that makes planning simple. You're able to utilize the recipes that you already know and love and that follow your family's actual dietary needs and preferences. And it works so seamlessly. Once you get all your recipes in there, which you can really easily do with their handy little clipping tool that they teach you how to use on their website, it's so easy. You just drag and drop your meals right onto your calendar. You can even create menus that then you can repeat later on, which saves you even more work in the future. It's like a gift to your future self. And then once you've created your meal plan, which you can do on the web or on the app on your phone, you can then head to the grocery store, have your shopping list all divided into categories for you. It's brilliant. It even puts the things that you normally buy at specific stores in the list for that store. You guys, they didn't forget anything. It's such a seamless system and I am so grateful for it. Plan to Eat is a subscription service with amazing customer support. They usually get back to you in 12 hours or less. It's $39 a year or $4.95 a week and they typically include a free fully functional 30-day trial with no payment required. But for my listeners, you guys, because they know what a huge fan I am of Plan to Eat and that you're going to love it too, they're giving you 60 days to try it absolutely free. So just go to plantoeat.com slash lovely to start that 60-day free trial. You don't even have to enter a credit card. You're just going to get in there and you're going to fall in love and it's going to make your life so much easier. So go to plantoeat.com slash lovely. And I think even if we're not like eliminating them completely, like I'm not saying wear a black turtleneck every day. But one of the things that I do, I mean, like the meal planning I mentioned, but for my daughters, it's always this battle of what they're going to wear to school every day. So I bought these shoe racks that go in their closet. And if I'm on my game, which hasn't been every week this year, but if I'm on my game, for me, consolidating, picking their outfits for the week into one, like, you know, half an hour or hour that it takes me and putting each day's outfit in each of those little bins. So a lot of times I'll do it like on a Sunday night or whatever. That saves my bacon during the week to not have every single morning or every single night having to try to figure out their outfits and argue with them about it. And, you know, what are you actually going to wear based on what I actually picked out for you? Like just getting it done for me and not thinking about it again. It's this little thing, but it makes such a difference to my life. And it's interesting to know what are the little things that make such a big difference in our own lives. Cause they're not going to be the same for different people. Yeah. For some people that may be no big deal. And they're like, that's ridiculous. I don't need to do that. And for me, that is just, it's a game changer. And then you talk about outsourcing also, which I think is a really interesting conversation. And I think that particularly moms, And I think even more so like stay-at-home moms, but moms in general, I think have a hard time feeling like it's okay to outsource some of their responsibilities where that's something I've had to come to grips with over the years. And now I'm at the point where I'm like, dang, when I can afford a maid, (laughs) (laughs) she will be worth every penny of me not having to take that time and do that stuff. Like I, and it's not my strength and that will be fabulous when I can get there someday. Mm -hmm. But do you want to talk about that idea of outsourcing a little bit? Sure. Um, first of all, what you're saying about it being so difficult for some of us to let go of our responsibilities. I hear you. But if you've ever taken your child to the pediatrician, what you're doing is relying on someone else's expertise instead of your own. Um, And it's funny, um, I chose a literary quote to introduce each chapter. And the one on this is about how hard it is. It's from Alexander McCall Smith. And he says, we think that we have to learn how to give, but we forget about accepting things, which Mm -hmm. which can be much harder than giving. Uh, that's something I really relate to. Um, I So in this chapter, I wanted to talk about hiring people to help us because when we think outsourcing, of course we think of that. We think about getting someone to come clean or yeah. something like that. But we can also outsource in ways that don't cost money, um, that mm-hmm. save us time. We can rely on the power of friends. Um, if you're using a meal plan from Pinterest or like an outfit board that you Mm -hmm. saw in a magazine, then you are outsourcing some of those decisions to someone else. If you get a meal plan service, whether you pay for it, whether it's free, if you follow somebody's meal plan Monday on Instagram and you're like, yep, I'm making whatever she makes, um, you're outsourcing. And what you're doing is strategically taking something off your plate and putting it on someone else's. And there aren't any hard and fast rules for what 
makes sense for you to do. Like different people outsource different things for different reasons to different degrees. Mm -hmm. Um, But I just really wanted to encourage people to think about what perhaps they could get help with. Mm -hmm. When we like get dinner ideas on Pinterest, we're maybe not thinking of looking for help. But if if you're able to think less because someone else is doing that for you, and you really need that mental energy somewhere else, let's do that. Yeah. Yeah. Cause there are literal times in my life where I feel like when some decisions need to be made, especially if I'm having to grapple with a lot of bigger ones, I literally just like, I have called a friend, I've called my mom. I've been like, these are my options. Please just make this choice for me. Like, I just don't want to have to think about it. Like it doesn't matter enough. Like somebody else just do that for me. And it can relieve so much mental pressure for me when I just, I mean, even on silly things, like just somebody else do that for now. Yeah. That's interesting because uh, one of the best decision-making pieces of advice um, I've come across over the years is is like a twist on what you're saying. If you're not sure how to make a decision about like, well, a small thing or a big thing, a great question is, if my best friend were in the situation, what would mm. I tell her to do? Because yeah. we need we need a change in perspective to see something clearly. We know too much about our own lives. We're yeah. too much in our own heads. But when you think about how you would advise someone else, it gives you a little bit of needed distance. Yeah. Um, and you said that you do that for your friend or your mom. Um, a yeah. lot of times we don't want to ask people because we don't want to bother them. But like if somebody has something they're really good at and they want to spend time with you, then don't worry about bothering them. Yeah. Like they'll be glad you asked. Like in the book, I tell the story about how I am not naturally organized. Once I have a system that works for me, I can work the system, but I really struggle with putting a system in place. So I tell the story about how when I reorganized my home office and had papers everywhere because we just moved and needed to put a system in place and kept thinking, I'll do that next week. I'll do that next week. And that went on for like four months. Um, I mean, I asked my organized friend for tips and she said, can I, let's, let me just come over. And in a morning, like it was better. It was amazing. Not Ah. just better. Like it was done. done. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it was fun too, because yeah. I, I wasn't organizing papers because I don't like to organize papers, but I like hanging out with my friends. Yeah. And so putting those, and she liked to organize papers. So we could do that. And she was, I felt so bad for asking for help. And she's mm-hmm. like, you need to stop telling me that. Yeah. This is yeah. fun. And I'm happy to help. And especially if it's something that the other person is gifted in, you're probably like giving them a boost. Like I love when people ask me, to help them with something that I'm good at helping people with. Like mm-hmm. I enjoy that. I want to do that for them. Mm-hmm. And so I think we often don't think about it that way. I know. You know what that reminds me of is when we moved into our old house. Um, it was a like 1950s mid-century um, home in Louisville where I live. And my sister-in-law who hadn't married my brother that long before. So I didn't know her super well yet. Um, she's an interior designer. She's amazing oh, wow. at what she does. Um, but she has a job where people pay her money, you know, in her workplace to do that. And she offered to help with my house. And I asked my brother, like, I'm not sure if she's being kind because we just met or if she genuinely wants to help. And he's like, oh my gosh, no, she wants to help. She wants to help. Like you need to say yes. And, and I did, and we had fun and I got to spend time with her and I got to know her better. And also, um, She's amazing at what she does. So I was, I mean, I was just thrilled all the way around, but I needed that encouragement to Mm -hmm. say like, no, yes, yeah, (laughs) you need to say yes. She means it. I'm so glad I did. Yeah. And she was probably really blessed by that too. Exactly. Because when we don't accept, I mean, we all think we're willing to give help, but if you don't accept it, then nobody can give it. And so really it's not just... If you want to live in the kind of world where people help their neighbors, then sometimes you need to be the neighbor getting the help. Mm-hmm. It's and true. We can't, I mean, some of us have a really hard time with that. I think I have a harder time with that than I used to. But when you once you reach a point of desperation in mm-hmm. your life, you'll just take whatever help you can get. Yeah. Um, and the the challenge for many of us can be to continue asking for and accepting help, even when we're not like seriously in dire straits. Yeah. Yeah. And it's been so interesting to me because I used to feel like I had to do it all. I, you know, that was what made me a good mom and a good, you know, whatever. And over the past two and a half years, I've had no choice but to receive help from people. Like I'm a single mom trying to make it happen. There, there was no other option. And it's just been recently that I 
feel like those tides have started to change a little bit. Like I still need a lot of help, but I'm able to give back to some friends in some ways. And man, that has been so good for my soul to be able to give back to these people who have poured into my kids and poured into our life and so been there for us. I mean, even just driving, you know, somebody's kids to ballet or, you know, whatever, it's just, it makes me feel like I am contributing also. And it's friends also who are like twos on the Enneagram have a really hard time accepting help, but it's been so good for our relationship all the way around for me to be able to give back and for them to be able to accept it back. Yes. Yes, absolutely. It makes me think of, um, uh, my friend was telling me how we, I think it was my husband actually had picked her daughter up from school and taken her to practice across town with my own child in the car as well. And she was like, oh my gosh, that was such a lifesaver. Thank you so much. But I mean, yeah. just, yeah. And I was like, really like, I'm, I'm glad that, that we could do that for you, but let me just, let me just tell you that was no big deal. Yeah. Like not a blip on our radar. It probably made our kids day that your daughter was in the car too. Um, but it was really, it was not a big thing, but it was a big thing for her. And that really helped me see like when I go to ask for help, if something could be like such a huge deal to me, but not at all a big deal for somebody else, like then I just need to ask. Yeah. Maybe they'll be glad they have another kid in the car too. So sometimes I hear the conversation is a lot more pleasant at the end of a long school day when you have, when your child has company in the car, that's not their parents. It is true. It is so true. I had a friend the other day. She was, I said, you should have just brought your kids over. And she was like, oh, it just would have been more kids for you to deal with. I was like, my kids would have gotten along a lot better if your kids had been here. It would have been fine. But yeah, it's just realizing that we're not always putting people out. It's a lot of times not as big of a deal as we think it is. Right, right, right. And I think we don't want to ask for help if we don't need it. And yet, um, in the United States these days, loneliness is becoming yes. something that's discussed as an epidemic. So yeah. re- reach out to the people around you. Yeah. That's one way to do it. Yeah. Well, there are so many other things in this book that I wish we had time to talk about, but people are just going to have to get it. And you guys, this is, this is going to be, I know it already, like on my favorite reads list from 2020, because it's practical. It's interesting. It's a really captivating read for something about overthinking. Like I'm going to overthink about this book and <laughs> loved it so much. So I highly recommend that people go and grab it for sure. Well done. Well, I'm so glad you enjoyed it. And thanks for taking the time to read and for yes. talking with me about it today. Yes. So to wrap things up, I know we only have a couple more minutes, but would you share, and I'll share one too, but just some small way that you are currently cultivating loveliness in your life? Ooh, well, I can be any dumb thing. (laughs) (laughs) I'm mulching my daffodils that are blooming and I'm dreaming of ways that I'm going to, I'm getting my vases ready for when I'm ready to cut them in the backyard. Oh, right now I'm mostly looking forward to that loveliness. Yes. Yes. You're preparing for future Mm -hmm, lovely. mm -hmm. Also, it's so gray here right now. Like a spring is on the cor- around the corner. Like we can see the bulbs starting to pop up, but it's still very much winter. Mm-hmm. And I'm just really making an effort to light the candles and turn on the twinkle lights that we have in a couple rooms from our home pretty much all the time. Yeah. This February light is still really gray, even though we know it's not going to be gray for that much longer. And I just need to enjoy the coziness, but also get a little bit of twinkle. Yeah, I totally agree. I've been starting to, yes, I've been starting to incorporate like some of the little like springier colors here and there, but, but yeah, I've been keeping up those twinkle lights and everything for sure. Cause it's, yeah, it's gray in Washington too. (laughs) (laughs) I'm in good company. Yes. I think the little thing that I have been doing to cultivate a little bit of loveliness in my life, it actually took me by surprise. I have this silly thing that I sing to my daughters while I'm doing their hair every morning. It's from Les Mis when I need them to look at the floor. I always say like, look down, look down, (laughs) don't look them in the eye. And they never knew what it was from. And they were just like, mom's weird. But then I actually started playing Les Mis for my oldest daughter the other day. And she was like, wait, what is this? And so we actually sat down and I told her the whole story and she's been listening to the music and it like 
it does my little musical theater heart happy <laughs> that she is like fully invested in being interested in Lay Miz. Like we're on the way to school, and she's like, "Will you play Lay Miz, Mom?" Like all my dreams are coming true. Thank oh, that's you. so fun. Yeah, it's the best. So that's been my little lovely. I love it. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show, Anne. It was a joy as always. I hope people get their hands on this book. And thank you for taking the time. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you, Mackenzie. Yep. Bye. All right. If you would like to snag Anne's book or find links to any of the things that we talked about in this episode, you can head over to boldturquoise.com slash 157. You can also just scroll down in iTunes or whatever podcasting app that you have, and it should all be there as well. And remember that whenever you buy through an Amazon link, even if it's not the thing that we linked to, if you just go through our link and then buy whatever you want, we get a little kickback for it, but it doesn't cost you a penny extra. And we so, so appreciate when you take the time to use our Amazon links. It makes a really big difference. And another big thing, like I always say, that makes a big difference is leaving those rating and reviews on iTunes. Thank you so much to those of you who do it. And if you haven't done it, if you could just head over there and leave a really quick rating and, you know, a good review, we would really appreciate it so that Apple would get our podcast out to even more listeners. All right. We always, of course, appreciate when you share the show on Instagram. You can link to me at Mackenzie Coppa. DM me anytime there. I would love to interact with you on Instagram. And of course, and Patreon at patreon.com slash cultivating the lovely. You ladies are the ones that make this show possible and I am so grateful for each and every one of you. All right, until next week, go be bold and gracious. Mm-hmm.